Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I'm so excited to be sharing with you today from uh, God's Word, and I love that it's summertime and it's warm here on the east coast of Canada, and uh, we're having a good time here in Halifax enjoying the heat this last week, and the summer's a great time to slow things down to have a little bit of fun. Maybe the kids get to go to bed a little bit later and uh, perhaps for parents, it's a little bit more relaxed um, at work and deadlines maybe aren't so um, pressurized, um, et cetera. And so we thought it might be a fun time to just chill out, chill the schedule out a little bit and uh, do a series of one-offs. So, uh, you know, we've called it, Glenn started it last week, uh, Summer Single Serving Sermon Series. Uh, say that 10 times fast, if you can, while you're sitting there with your kids, make a fool of yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're wanting to hit a few different areas um, during this series that might not be super well connected, but are really important. And so we're hoping that this will be life-changing for you, that God will sow uh, good seeds of his word into your heart and ours um, as we journey together today. One of the things I think of when I think of summer and I think of the church um, is I think of camp meetings. Now, for some of you, you might not be familiar with this at all. Uh, for those of you who've sort of grown up in the church, you will likely be familiar with camp and camp meetings. And um, it was something that I encountered when I was growing up. And uh, maybe revival meetings might have been what they were called. And these were times where you'd gather at a camp and you'd have meetings, you know, church meetings. And there wouldn't be a whole lot of pressure in terms of time. Um, there'd be a lot of time dedicated to worship and, uh, and preaching, and especially like time to pray together um, and time to allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives personally and change us. And uh, so I was thinking today that I would serve up a single serving sermon on uh, revival. And uh, for those of you that are familiar with camp meetings, if you kind of hold that imagery in your mind, it might help as we journey together in God's word. So a summer single serving of summer single sermon serving of revival today is my hope. So Acts 9, let's uh, take a look. Acts 9, beginning at verse 1. Uh, this is Luke writing, and it's about Paul, and it says this, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might uh, bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul, uh, who later becomes Paul, uh, was persecuting the church. And basically he's asking for letters here where he can go and bind up, basically terrorize uh, people of the way or Christians. Now on his way to Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 31, chapter 9 says this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And then over to 2 Corinthians 12, just briefly, 2 Corinthians 12. Now, this is Paul, who was Saul, writing, and he says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. 
Though if I should boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited or, or prideful. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can we pray together today? Lord, we thank you so much that we can gather, that we can read your word um, that we can share together, you know, in this time. Uh, today, uh, we're away from one another. We're separated by distance, but God, we know that you are with us. Um, we know that when we gather in your name, uh, in our homes or wherever we are uh, listening or watching this message today, uh, you are present in our midst. And so my prayer today is that you would um, change us, God, as we look at your word, as we um, seek to hear from you by the power of your spirit, change us. We pray that your word will find good ground in our hearts and our lives, and that after we finish uh, hearing from you today, we would never be the same again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a story uh, told of two sisters um, who went uh, to a revival meeting, to a camp style meeting um, in the Chicago area many, many years ago, about 100 years ago. And uh, they came from a God-fearing family. They were Christians. And their aunt insisted that they head to Chicago to these meetings. And so they went. And at these meetings, they experienced God um, in a fairly miraculous way, in a personal way, in a miraculous way. Um, they sensed his presence. They felt him in ways that they had not before. And when they left, they had such conviction about God's uh, power. Um, they had experienced his power in their life in such a way that they could not help but share that with other people. So these two sisters at a time when um, women were not known for uh, their leadership within the church or for planting churches, they set out planting churches. And they um, did that from uh, the Kentucky area, which is where they were from. Uh, you know, they moved east. They went to Tennessee, through the south of the U.S., Georgia. And then they began to move up the east coast. And this all came out of this personal experience that they had with God that was amazing to them. Stories also told uh, of a gentleman uh, by the name of Ray Watson, um, who was a bank robber, a criminal in fact, came to know Christ uh, in the early 1900s and then experienced Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit being poured out in that time and place and uh, had an experience with the Lord that again was personal in nature uh, and life-changing. And so Ray Watson became a preacher, um, and he began to uh, evangelize, which simply means to share um, the story of Jesus with others. He preached uh, all across Canada, um, starting out in uh, the, the prairies, uh, Regina, uh, Battleford, uh, Saskatchewan, different places in Ontario, all different parts of our countries, and eventually uh, came all the way out to the Maritimes preaching Jesus and seeing many people saved, holding revival meetings, um, holding camp meetings. It's interesting to me because these followers of Christ experienced something in his presence, something personal in his presence. 
And those experiences led to revival meetings and to churches being planted. It's really similar to the text that we read today in Acts. Paul had an experience with God, and in the later part of that chapter, it says that the church was strengthened and the church multiplied and grew. You could say the church was revived in different ways through the meetings that Ray Watson held and through the meetings of these sisters, uh, Caro and Susie Davis. Revival is an interesting thing. Revival, um, if you just look up the term itself, there's some different meanings there, but uh, strengthening something, restoring life to something. Revival also is used when we're, we're talking about a renewed interest in something. When something becomes popular again, we call that a revival. It seems to me that that's actually what happened during those camp meetings. You know, we would engage the, the, the schedule of life all year long, you know, through the school year. A lot of what we do in North America is built around that. And then we would come to the summer and there's this, you know, rest in the schedule and people try to take some vacation and kids are off school. And in that time, as we waited upon God, he would revive something in our lives. Maybe during the course of the year, maybe life squeezed out some of God's presence in our lives, or, or maybe our, our walk became a little bit stagnant with the Lord on this journey. But we would get to those meetings, and maybe it would take a few, and it would take some time waiting on God, but, but God would revive something in us. I believe today in the body of Christ, I believe here for us as a local church, we need to tap into those experiences again. It's not enough just to know about God. We want to know about him. We want to know him, but we want to do that in a personal way, which involves experience. And that's what these passages of scripture that we talked about today, that we've already read, um, that deal with Paul or are written by Paul in the case of Corinthians, really are about. We need to tap into experiencing God. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, he was talking about theology, and he likened theology to a map, and he likened the Atlantic Ocean to experience. And he said this, neither will you get anywhere by looking at maps without going to sea. Nor will you be very safe if you go to sea without a map. Neither will you get anywhere by looking at maps without going to sea, nor will you be very safe if you go to sea without a map. And what Lewis was arguing here for was balance, talking about the personal experience as being undeniable and that God does something in the lives of a believer. But the map, the theology, the, the many experiences of many people over time help to, to guide us on this ocean of experience with God in our personal walk. Balance is so important, and at times I feel like we've become out of balance in our knowledge. We know so much now. We can access information in so many ways. The internet has completely changed our ability to access information, and the same is true for us in the body of Christ, for those of us who serve Jesus. We've never had more access to sermons and to theology and to the Bible than ever before. It's amazing. It's wonderful to be able to have all of that knowledge but what is all of that knowledge without experiencing God? And to me, that's what revival is all about. That's what those camp meetings in the summertime were all about. And that's what the single serving sermon message today is all about, experiencing God. One of our core values here at Faith is experiencing God, not just knowing him. And we see the biblical precedent for this all through the Bible. Moses experienced God. He didn't just know about him or know of him. David, King David experienced God. He didn't just know him. He didn't just know about him, but he experienced the Lord's presence 
in real ways. The New Testament is no different, and that was Paul's experience here. He knew of God. He knew about God, and now he experienced him through the power of Jesus Christ. You see, a barrier for us today where we live here in Canada, I believe here in the West, for us as a Western church, is that we have so much independence ourselves. We depend on ourselves, independence. We depend on ourselves to sustain our lives, for food, for finance, to function. We, we're so independent we're probably even asking ourselves the question today, do we even need revival? I'm glad maybe I don't have to truck off to a camp meeting. You know, I, you know, I can have Jesus on my phone and, and check out the latest sermon from so-and-so. But what about the experience? We become, I believe, so independent that we don't see the need for something like revival, for an experience in God's presence. And I'd submit to you today, if you feel like you don't need a uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit or an experiencing God or feeling his love and affirmation, then perhaps you're not living a life that is stretching you uh, in God's purposes enough. I know today that I need to experience God today and every day. What about you? We have such independence in our lives and sometimes uh, the measure of humility it takes to ask for something really points to the fact that we have a need. We often like to think that we have it all together, that things are okay, that things are going well, and when in fact the darkness that we've been encountering in the world these last few months really reminds us of our fragility as humans, of the fact that we don't control very much how we need God. C.N. Slonwhite, a district superintendent for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada here on the East Coast, wrote this. There is no question that war and poverty and want will drive people to God, while affluence, prosperity, and peace often dull their spiritual sense or spiritual hunger. There is no question that war and poverty and want will drive people to God while affluence, prosperity, and peace often dull their spiritual sense. C.N. Slomit was our district superintendent from 1948 to 1974 here on the East Coast, but his words are so applicable to today. This is where I believe we're at today, here even at Faith City Church, here on the Maritimes, here in the Maritimes, on the East Coast of Canada, where we've come to the place of prosperity and affluence and peace. And that's dulled our spiritual sense, our spiritual hunger to the place where maybe we don't even realize that we're in need. We have our investments that are financial to look after us. We have health care to take care of us. Those are good things, but what are the eternal ramifications of this independence that we have? Are we living life for the here and now, or are we living life for the eternity to come that we'll be so blessed to live in? We've gotten away from revival meetings, quote-unquote, or camp meetings, quote-unquote. And maybe that's okay in a way. We talk, we've talked about recently that the traditions matter less than the truth, so the expression sometimes changes. So maybe the, the, the expression needs to change. Maybe it's not the revival meetings of old or, or camp meetings of old. Maybe there's a new methodology, but the truth needs to remain. And that truth is, I need God to revive me. I need God to change me. I need his presence on a daily basis. 
That's the truth. What keeps us from experiencing those life-changing personal moments of revival, I see what keeps us from experiencing those things is a lack of humility. It is such an independence, a dependence on ourselves, not recognizing how much we need God. The humility of coming to the place of saying, I need this experience is not just enough to have the map like C.S. Lewis talked about. It's not just enough to have the knowledge in my back pocket on my phone. I need to experience this for myself. I want to experience this so I can pass it on to my kids so that my grandchildren will experience this in God as well so that when the difficulties in life come, they'll have a supernatural strength they find in the weakness that Paul talked about in the difficulties of life. And so just briefly today, we want to look at Paul's life in these two passages and, and learn from him. Traditions might change the expression, the how, but the truth needs to remain the same. Revival is needed now just as much as it was needed in the time of the Watsons and the Davis sisters. We need to experience God. Paul experienced God. Paul experienced Jesus in Acts 9. It says this, Acts 9, 3, now he went on his way and he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it was Jesus speaking to him. And it says in verse 9 that for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. It also says that the men who were with him, they couldn't see, they heard the voice and then they had to lead Paul by the hand into the city. Just for a moment, imagine what that must have been like. Here you have Paul, who is a, a very affluent, uh, very learned man, very well respected, was well known. And all of a sudden, he's knocked off his horse in front of all of his uh, friends who were with him, those men that were with him that day. Couldn't see any longer, and then has to be led into the city by the hand. There's nothing wrong with that, but for this man, it was a humbling experience. I think it's safe to conclude that. What must it have been like for him during those three days? To not eat or to drink? To not want to do those things? We can conclude for sure that Paul was humbled in those moments. All of a sudden, this God who he was persecuting has now knocked him off his horse and he's been led by the hand into a city and asked to wait to hear instructions. What must have been like for him to experience Jesus in such a way? If you read that full chapter, you come to know that, that there was a, a, a prophetic word given to Paul. And a man was spoken to by the name of Ananias. And he came to meet with Paul and spoke to him about what God wanted him to do. And healed his eyes. And this just dramatic and amazing experience happens in God's presence to Paul. And then the Bible records this and says that in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church was strengthened and multiplied. You see, we want to see people saved. We want to see people come to know Jesus, to encounter his love and to follow him. We want to see the church grow, not for our own pride or boasting, but so that many would be added to the kingdom and enjoy eternity with God. It's not about the here and now. It's about the life to come. But it will take humility 
in our own lives to have these experiences and to cry out to God for them so that we can then carry on in the multiplication and growth of God's church. Paul experienced Jesus in Acts 9, and we need to experience him as well. Then when we look at 2 Corinthians, we see another revival experience that Paul talks about. And all I mean by that is a personal experience with God that was life-changing for him. In the opening verses, he talks about not boasting, and, and it can kind of be confusing about what's being said here, but the emphasis in Corinthians was Paul was speaking to the Corinthian church, a Gentile church, and the spirituality in that, um, in that area was very mystical, and they were questioning Paul's ability to really be speaking to them and to be addressing the issues he had, and so what Paul was doing here was, was speaking their language, was wanting to, to be relatable, to say, look, these are the experiences I have had in God. And so this whole idea about not boasting, and it's all about humility, really, is what Paul is after, and, or, or it was what his point was here. And so he talks about being caught up to the third heaven, being caught up to paradise, experiencing things that cannot be uttered. And then he talks about humility and finding and experiencing the power of God in weakness in Paul's life, we can see a correlation, perhaps not a causation, but a correlation between brokenness and humility and, and these experiences in God. Some scholars will uh, suggest to us and argue that this experience, the third heaven experience for Paul that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, is actually related to the stoning of Paul at Lystra in Acts uh, 19, I believe. Paul was stoned and he had preached the gospel and he was loved at first and people loved the miracles that he was doing, but then they turned on him and they stoned him. And the Bible says that he was left for dead. His condition was so poor after being stoned, he was left for dead, thought that he was dead. And so some scholars have argued that this was the time when Paul was caught up to the third heaven. Did he die? Was he resurrected? We don't know. And Paul talks about these sort of things that he doesn't know and God only knows what happened? There's some disagreement now, and archaeological evidence will, would tell us that maybe things are a little bit out of sync in terms of dates. So the writing of the, the book of Corinthians and the 14 years that Paul mentions there might be out of sync with that stoning at Lystra. We don't know exactly, but I think it's safe to conclude that the idea that our pain at times, the most painful experiences, might correlate to the most strengthening moments in God's presence. In fact, Paul says that in weakness, I'm made strong. I'll, I'll boast in the calamities. I'll boast in the problems. I'll boast in the persecutions because in my weakness, I'm made strong. Have you been left for dead? Again, we're, we're, we're so lucky, uh, privileged to, to live here where we do. We don't encounter persecution the way our brothers and sisters in Christ do in all kinds of other parts of the world. Our, our lives are not under threat. But we might have some small measure of experience of being left for dead, dead dreams maybe, uh, rejected by our families, left for dead in the per fulfilling of the purposes of God in our life. Have you been left for dead, counted out? Today, I believe God wants to revive those dreams. He wants to revive your purpose. He wants to revive you in the same way that he revived Paul and caught him up to the third heaven. And Paul had a personal experience with God that was so precious that he couldn't 
even speak about it in detail. Paul's experiencing God correlates with humility, with brokenness, with weakness. And the result is multiplication. The result is growth. You see, where I think sometimes we get out of balance with these personal experiences with God is that we just want to experience them ourselves. We might have gone to those camp meetings, those revival meetings, and experienced something for ourselves, and we experience it, and it feels good, and then we just go back to the regular life here in North America and enjoy the comforts and the luxuries that we have, and we forget that there are many people around us who are truly souls that are represented that will be lost in eternity if we don't reach out. Earlier I said that maybe you don't think you have a need for revival, and I would submit to you today humbly and kindly that perhaps the lack of perception of need has to do with the fact that you're not being stretched in your walk with God, that you're not fulfilling the purposes that God has for you, that you've become desensitized like uh, our superintendent Sloan White said many years ago, prosperity, peace, affluence, have dulled us so much that we don't even see the souls around us any longer. We don't carry the burden for them like we do. We don't perceive that we need revival in the way that we dramatically do and desperately do. The goal of these personal experiences in God is to bring freedom to our lives. It's to bring affirmation, his holy affirmation to our lives so that we are strengthened to go about the purposes of God, just like Paul did. The results of everything that Paul did was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And in fact, when Ananias came to see him in Acts 9, and when he experienced the healing power of God and the prophetic words that Ananias had for him, his purpose was revealed. And that was to bring the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles, to people who were outside the kingdom of God to that point. His call was to make those outsiders insiders. And thank God he did so that you and I today can be connected to God through the power of what Christ has done. That's meant to be the result, the fulfillment of God's purposes. And so we need to be balanced like C.S. Lewis encourages us to be. We need to seek the experience and the knowledge. And when those two things come together, the fulfilling of God's purposes happened. And I believe that's how we're going to continue to grow and to share God's love here in Halifax and around the world and wherever you are listening today. So taking all of this about experience and revival, what does it mean for us today? Well, I believe it means that we need to walk in humility. And ultimately, that's where this message lands. We need to be humble. And if we are humble if we recognize and have self-awareness around our need for God, around our need for revival, around our need to experience him, perhaps you don't know God in a personal way today, and, and this is all new to you, and perhaps for you then the question becomes, you need to recognize the need in your life to connect with God through Jesus. All of those things, to ask for a need to be met is to walk in humility. James chapter 4, 6 says this, but he gives grace, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Revival involves humility. It involves articulating the need, and that simply is prayer. Prayer ultimately is a very humble act. 
Prayer, when we pray, we recognize that there is something so big out there, God, who created the universe, who is bigger than us, who knows more than us, who can do infinitely more than we ever could. We acknowledge that we are his created and he is the creator. When we pray, we humble ourselves. The Bible says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. This passage has been quoted many, 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 many times over and over and over over the history of Christianity, I can imagine, and certainly during the early history of our movement. It's become synonymous with praying for revival, for change in a land, for people to experience God's presence in a new way. And today, if you're looking for a single serving scoop of revival, I think it comes to us through this passage of Scripture, through humility, through prayer, through articulating the need that we have. Prayer wakens us and sensitizes us to the right things. So today, if you recognize your need for Jesus, for a connection to God through his son Jesus, for more of the Holy Spirit, for revival, to be revived, to be reawakened to the things of God, then that means that you'll recognize your need for prayer. Today, before we head into worship again and um, then go on and go about the rest of our day, I want to challenge you right where you are to just take a moment and to fill your heart and to quiet your soul. No matter what the situation is, you're on your own watching or with your family, maybe at a watch party, just take a moment right now and just quiet your heart and your soul before the Lord. Can we take a moment to just contemplate the things that we've talked about today? Fulfilling the purposes of God that he has for you the way Paul did being left for dead, maybe in the dreams and visions and things that you have for the kingdom of God and you just haven't seen them come together. Maybe having experienced God's presence long ago in different ways, but since you've become quite independent and don't necessarily feel the need. So many of us today listening to this message in different situations and coming from different life narratives today, but right now in this moment, as you still yourself, just hear the Lord. What is it that he wants to say to you through the words that have been spoken today? I want to challenge you today as a church that we're going to seek revival. We're going to seek revival because we are going to stretch ourselves and our faith to the place where if God doesn't come through and revive us and change us and allow us to experience his presence, we are not going to make it. Lord, we come before you today and we truly do humble ourselves Lord, we see in, in our land, just like the scripture says in Chronicles, that there is a deep need. It is broken and it's in need of healing. And today we pray. God, we pray for ourselves that first that we would see the need in our lives for you. And having seen that need, that we would seek your face, that we would humble ourselves and pray and ask that you would come and move and that we would become sensitized to the, 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 the will of God and your purposes, Lord. 
and that we would seek to fulfill them. Lord, I pray for everyone listening today who feels can relate to being left for dead. Perhaps their life itself literally hasn't been uh, under persecution, but God, they've had to leave dreams behind. They've had to leave the purposes that you had for them behind. God, today I pray that you would revive those. Lord, for those of us who are just in need of refreshing, we heard about it last week, today in need of revival, God, we need something to be renewed in our lives. Would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and do what only you can do? God, we pray that we would be like Paul, that we would follow his example and we would only boast in our weaknesses, in our need for you, knowing that you will be faithful to come and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray today. Amen.